0: And now, from Cigar Dojo Studio, Lot B, your hosts, Robbie Raz and Randy Griggs.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the Odyssey continues. What's up, Dojo Nation? Welcome to another episode of Flavor Odyssey. Your host, Robbie Raz, here's our co-host, Randy Griggs, coming to you live from Lot B and Lot B-minus out here in uh, steadily briskening? Is that a word? Nope hey <laughs> <laughs> steadily getting colder california brisk it's brisk it's brisk randy that's not briskening isn't a thing but yeah, right. I, it sounds like it, it could almost be a word but it's not um california we're in california randy how are you doing
0: i am doing fantastic super excited to be here tonight um i am going to uh get this thing started though because we're very excited um as everyone should know, we are kicking off uh, the new chapter, which means we have a guest tonight. And in honor of not only our guest tonight, but it's December, it's the holidays. We just got back from a, a long Thanksgiving break. We want, we here at Flavor Odyssey wanted to uh, do some, some good for the world uh, during the holiday season. And so I would like to ask personally for everybody watching out there to like the show, and share the show. And if you share the show tonight, you will be entered to win one of two fabulous prizes. One of these prizes is coming from Rob and my own uh, devices out of my humidor here. I have a uh, Zycar travel humidor with five Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust cigars. Some of my favorites from the the pr- portfolio celebrate uh,
1: the man's entire catalog
0: i do i do and there's a rumor that steve saka himself is going to send out a box of sin compromiso oh. uh at the end of this show so please share the show and we will do a random uh selection of people that shared the
1: show to one win one of these <clears throat> fabulous prizes billionaire steve Sokka. you don't you can't leave that part <laughs> off like when you when you reach the level of B billionaire, you, you're you're led with that. It's kind of like when you get your PhD, you're led with Doctor. You know, it's your Doctor so and so. So it's it's billionaire Steve Saka taking the time to join us on the show tonight. Steve, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Hey guys,
3: my pleasure. But uh, time is money, so let's get cracking. <laughs>
2: nice. Touche. Well, well
3: done. Well done. I already lost a uh, million dollars already, man. Come on. <laughs>
1: We uh, we appreciate you. We came into the show uh, and publicized the show that we had uh, a quick little giveaway and um, the Office Space reference. Indeed, nice Hall of Famer Kevin Acuff checking in. Uh, we thought we just had one giveaway, and then before the show, Steve says uh, that he's going to contribute a, a box to the giveaway as well. So thank you, Steve, for doing that. It's very generous. Indeed. Okay. Deep thoughts. <laughs> uh, deep thoughts. We'll, uh, we'll move on. I know that Steve was having some issues hearing us a little bit earlier, so hopefully that doesn't uh, continue. Want to send it back to the boys in Colorado, fresh home off vacation. Just want to say hi. Boys Looking
2: good. What's up, fellas? Hey, uh, well, me and Jordan are still in vacation mode, and obviously Jordan is going to be producing the show tonight. But I, I plan to just hang out in the Facebook chat tonight. And hang out with the fellas and the ladies and talk about what they're posting on Facebook. But we gotta we gotta do some housekeeping real quick. We gotta do some housekeeping. And that is two days from right now is the release of the next dojo cigar. Look at this, look at that so sexy. sexy. It's a six count triangular box. It's the new Hoya Ninjaragua. And uh, so we've been working on this thing since 2018. Here's the details. This is what you guys need to know. If you're a Dojo member and you're on the Dojoverse, you're going to get first crack at these on Friday, but only just by like 15 minutes or so. So you got to act quick. And every single box of these that you buy, anybody who buys a box is going to get a, uh, a collector commemorative edition uh, Chinese throwing star that has Hoya and the Dojo on it. I shared a picture today on the Dojo verse. It's super cool. So make sure you look. This box right here is 53 bucks. 53 bucks. You can't go wrong. Buy buy 12. You got you got to buy a few to stack them in their triangular shape. Yeah, they do Come stack. On. They they stack amazingly. But the fun part is the cigar is amazing. It's a dessert stick. I mean, imagine <clears throat> imagine Hershey's chocolate syrup, Jordan Hershey's chocolate syrup is the main note. Drizzled over caramel corn. That's, there you go. Boom. So I, I wanted to let everybody know, be ready for Friday, because these bad boys are going down on Friday, and you're going to want to be quick. So uh, be on the Dojo versus Friday morning. The official sale starts at noon, but maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a noon Eastern, but maybe you'll get a 15-minute head start. Who knows? Hopefully, yeah. Anyways, boys, I hope you guys have a fantastic show. I can't wait to see Steve Saka. And uh, you guys talk about San Andreas, Maduro. Let's go, boom!
1: (laughs) Bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) And I'm out. The tan is looking really, really good, by the way, Eric. Very, very well done. Yeah. Uh, Dad bought 2020 in full effect.
2: I love it. Jealous of the beach photos, man. Sitting over here,
1: freezing
0: my baguettes (laughs) off. You're
2: you're over. Yeah, we came back to 27 degrees, Colorado. Oof. Mm -hmm. Now you're freezing your baguettes off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's only like 65 here. I don't know what I'm complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's get into uh, what we're here to talk about. We've got uh, pairing going tonight. And Steve is uh, partaking in the pairing as well. Kind of. He didn't go full a peated scotch. Uh, I'm really the only one who wanted to drink peated scotch tonight. <laughs> so looking directly into the camera. I rarely ever do this. Um, and I'm forcing Randy to do it. It will probably last. I, I saw how much of that of the sample that I gave you, how much you poured. I'm surprised that uh, you did like a wash of your glass, took a quick sip, and that's it. Um, But uh, I've got uh, Lagavulin, um, uh, the distiller's edition, uh, coming from uh, Lagavulin's Islay uh, whiskey. We've talked about the different regions of scotch. I'm not really going to get into that tonight. Maybe we'll do that on another show. Uh, But that's what I'm going with. Randy, you're drinking uh, Lagavulin 16, which Indeed. is kind of their uh, base model, so to speak, but it's still like a, a pretty nice uh, whiskey.
2: Um, is that the peatiest of, of the regions, Rob? Mm-hmm. Islay,
1: yeah, yeah. But it's you can have a peated Scotch really from any region. It just has like to be like
2: that. That's usually like the one. That yeah,
1: Islay. Nine times out of ten, um, if you see it's an Islay whiskey, it's going to be peated, uh, and probably heavily so. Uh, and when we say peated, I've got some things that I'll uh, chime in about whiskey. We're mainly going to be talking about San Andreas wrapper tonight. But um, when it, when you say peated whiskey, uh, what, is, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Um, so peated whiskey is going gonna, gonna to be heavy on the smoky flavor. So um, it, it almost like you'll have notes of like campfire and almost like burnt rubber. Like it's not a very, yeah. it's kind of like when we're smoking a cigar and we reference um, a barnyard or like a manure smell, which isn't normally a good thing, but occasionally, uh, depending on the type of pairing and the type of cigar that you're talking about, or the type of whiskey can be a good thing. Um, so that smoky flavor comes from, um, the malt, malted barley being dried with peat fire with flame. Wow. I'll get this out, uh, being dried over fire. That's burnt peat. So peat is basically, um, it is, it's like decomposed plant matter that, is it stays kind of wet so it never really decomposes completely, and as it dries out, it basically becomes like dirt. But you can burn it because mm. the plant matter in there is combustible. So when you burn it, it's got a very distinct flavor or uh, flavor uh, smell to it, also very distinct flavor. So that's where that whole concept of peated whiskey comes from. So if you have any kind of whiskey, usually an Islay whiskey. Uh, or something else that says that it's peated, you're definitely going to get a lot of smoky notes, campfire. Uh, I say kind of a burnt rubber kind of smell, um, but uh, it's definitely very, very earthy, and it's it can be overpowering. Uh, it's almost like we've talked about, I know you guys want to say anise, but I still say anise. We talk about that anise flavor is really, really overpowering whenever it's uh, in something for me, that black licorice flavor. This is kind of the same kind of deal. When you have something that's got a peat flavor to it, it's always going to be... Uh, present right up front. Um, not really something that you get used to really kind of sinks into the background, but it's, it's definitely there. Um, and as I said, peat is made from, it's partially decom partially decomposed plant matter. Um, and it forms in waterlogged conditions. Lack of oxygen means a plant doesn't rot completely. So if you've ever been to Ireland, you know that it is the drainage on that Island is terrible. Um, so Ireland and Scotland, same kind of deal. They, uh, they burn peat like it's nobody's business over there, and I personally love the smell and I love the taste. So that's what we're going with in the pairing today. I wanted to go with a peated whiskey because the the oomph behind the cigar, uh, the Cinco that we're smoking, I felt would do really really well with a peated scotch. I know, uh, uh, Steve, you're drinking uh, you're drinking a Balvenie. You said that's finished in sherry cask.
3: I, I actually totally disagree with you on this stuff. Uh, Laguiole Distillers Edition is Easily in my top five scotches, so I, I absolutely love that. And of the Islay that you picked, it's probably one of the best of two to smoke with cigars. I think that the uh, I think that the Lefroy Galore works really well, and I think that Distiller's Edition works really well. In the case of both of them, it's because the peat's been knocked down a little bit, and you have in your case, I think the Distiller's Edition's finished in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. And I think that's also true with the lore. Because the, the, the dilemma that you have when you drink an Isla with a scotch or, or smoke it with a cigar, drink it and smoke it with a cigar, is sometimes the scotch can be a little overpowering. So scotch can sometimes be a difficult thing in my opinion to pair with cigars. So I tend to go a bit more towards the lighter, fruitier, space sweeter style scotches when I'm, when I'm drinking scotch with a lot of cigars. So tonight I ended up picking the, uh, I ended up picking the uh, Balvini single barrel, 15 year old um, Sherried also. Um, One of the things that makes this scotch unique is it isn't finished in a Sherry cask. It's actually entirely aged in a Sherry cask, which makes a difference because Sherry butts are very large. And so you don't get as much surface contact with the barrel as you do in other things. So by leaving this in a Sherry, cask for 15 years it really helps to bring out that kind of uh, plummy raisiny mm-hmm. almost uh, and I know some people look at this as a negative but it's kind of got almost a syrupy fruit cakey thing going on it's it's a really it's a really nice scotch to pair with cigars so that's that's where I went
2: yeah usually if anything
1: is finished in a uh, sherry cask I am uh, definitely on board I didn't realize that this was it doesn't say it is on the bottle but you I trust you uh, more than I trust myself. I didn't really do any research on this particular scotch, but I will tell you the first time that I had this distillers edition was with you at IPCPR.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's one of my hands down favorites. I, I love that scotch and really it costs typically somewhere between 90 to 120 a bottle. Yeah. I think it's one of the, I really, I think it's really one of the top shelf scotches out there.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and that's part of the reason why I told Randy to drink the other scotch tonight, because I wanted to be selfish and drink this one myself. Um, but the, the lag sixteen, you're right, is a lot stronger in the uh, on the peat side of things. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not toned down at all. This is much more
3: much more elegant. Yeah. I think is probably it's, more good refined. It. it's more it, it just refined, it the, even better. It knocks the peat down, it elevates the sweetness, but it's still a classic. I mean, it has all of those eyelid traits. It's got the mm the anise, it's got that salt, it's got that bit of iodine, it's definitely got the smokiness. So it's just, I, I, it's one of the scotches that when, most people, people are very divided on Isla scotches. So it's one of the scotches that when somebody tells me, oh, I don't like Islas, I say, well, have you had this one? You should try this, one. you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's like, uh, it's like uh, I don't know, it's not, it's, it, you don't want to call it like an intro scotch because it's not, but it's, no, it's a no. good introduction into that Uh, into that region because it's not as over the top it's a good point um that's enough about scotch for now let's talk about uh san andreas rapper uh randy i know you've been very excited with uh, we saved this rapper for last for a reason uh, on season two um so why don't you uh kind of jump in and tell us what you think of san andreas rapper and then fire some questions over at steve i'm gonna sit here and drink my cigar or drink my whiskey and smoke my cigar (laughs)
0: Well, fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, no. So, um, as you said, I, I am excited about this one. I, I, I love uh, the flavors that the San Andreas wrapper uh, cigars uh, bring to the table. Obviously, when in combination with uh, Nicaraguan fillers, um, you you add a lot of that sweetness and spiciness. But uh, but obviously, we had uh, Steve on, and as he pointed out, kind of before we got on on the air, he, you don't ha- you don't work uh, with this uh, tobacco as a wrapper a ton, Steve. Uh, but we felt like uh, this project that you did with Sin Compromiso is so unique and so uh, and, and so involved. We really wanted to kind of hear hear what you th- think about why, why on such a on a cigar, I believe you re- you've referred to as one of your finest ligas. Um, why, why did you choose to use this wrapper uh, and, and, and what, what did you find appealing about it? And, and if you can kind of cover how you used it for this cigar specifically, uh, we'd love to hear the story.
3: Okay. Well, look, San Andres Negro, Mexican tobacco, Mexican black tobacco, has become very popular over the last gosh thirty odd years. I mean, I mean, they've been cultivating it, you know, up to four thousand years ago. I mean, it was originally cultivated by the Mayans, but really, kind of the modern cultivation that we see today started in about the 1830s. Um, look, it's always been a very forgiving wrapper. It's dark. It's got a nice thick texture to it. And it's relatively easy to grow. And a lot of that has to do with the region in which it's grown. Um, you know, it's... Uh, wh- you want me to go into San Andreas or you want me to talk about Sin? Should I talk about Sin first? You can go in whichever order.
0: We, we'd love to hear how... Uh, and, yeah, go into well, Sin. Knock it okay.
3: out. And I'm just going to go into the wrapper and ignore that anyway, so I don't even <laughs> why. <know. laughs> I mean, look... Th- There's five basic Criollos and San Andres Negro is probably the second of the basic Criollos. You know, a Criollo is the cornerstone seed. The word Criollo means local. It's a term that we banter around in a myriad of different ways. But there's five basic seed varieties in the black tobacco family that we use for cigars. And San Andres Negro really, it's like all uh, of of these tabacums, It originated on the foothills of the Peruvian Andes, and it migrated its way north. And it was being cultivated by the Mayans as far back as about 2000 BC, you know, there in that Olmec heartland. And it's grown specifically in the San Andreas Tuxtla Valley. That Valley is a really interesting valley because it's not, it's it's kind of close to the sea, but what ends up happening is it ends up rising to about 4,000 foot above sea level, And the valley itself, it's roughly 150 square miles. I haven't measured it, so I'm taking that just based on what I've been told. But what it is, is it sits between two major volcanoes, you know, the San Martin and the uh, Santa Marta volcano. Um, But before that, there was a larger volcano that had a mega eruption that created this caldera in which the San Andreas Valley lies. So because of the fact that it's almost like, uh, it's like literally 150 square miles that's in a bowl, okay? And when you go east, you go north, you go west, you go south of the bowl, it's very desert kind of like. It's that dry Mexican kind of, you know, arid climate. But within this bowl that was created in the caldera, it's got its own little microclimate. And it has some of the richest soil. I mean, at the heart of it, there's Lake Catamaco, and there's like, I don't even know, there's like literally hundreds of like little crisscrossing streams that come off the sides of these volcanoes in the bowl. And it makes for some of the most fertile land. I mean, there is literally, there's like three to four foot of like really friable volcanic soil in this valley. It's probably of all the places in the world, even, you know, including the Vuelta Abajo in Cuba, I think it may be the most ideal location to grow tobacco. I mean, it's uh, you know it's got a really good climate. It's uh, it's naturally humid. They have about 140-odd inches of rainfall every year. Um, just to give you an idea how fertile this soil is, when they cut down and they dry fence posts to put in the ground, within about three or four years, the fence posts actually start to sprout branches and leaves. Okay, it's just that fertile. And in fact, it's one of the few places that they really don't add much to the soil. Um, pretty much all of the additives are all organic. They don't need to do much because it's really high in magnesium. It's really good in phosphorus. It's got a, it's got a naturally uh, neutral pH level, which is just incredible. Um, so it's just such a perfect environment to grow cigar tobaccos. Um, and that's the reason why, I mean, first it was the Mayans. And then when the Mayan culture started to kind of wane and you got out of that neoclassical Mayan period, or that's not really neoclassical, pre-classical is the right way to say that. Um, you, the Aztecs picked it right up and they started like doing even more, you know, uh, So between like 107, and I'm just talking off the top of my head here. So bear with me between like 100 and 700 AD, that was when the Mayans were like doing really heavy cultivations. But then when the kind of spread to the Aztec culture, that was like right around 700 and 900 in that period, the Aztecs picked it right up. So it's one of the places that you've seen like intentional cultivation, probably for the longest of any of the places. Hmm. And look, that's the the, it was San Andres Negro that was the origin seeds for the Habanisa strains, which are what we refer to as uh, Cuban tobaccos. I mean, those were those were exported by the Arawak Indians uh, out into the Caribbean Basin. They went to the Dominican Republic. They went to they went to Cuba. So I mean, you know, every Cuban seed tobacco you have today originated as a San Andreas Negro seed. As a plant, it's a, um, it's kind of a shorter plant. It's kind of a bushy plant. Um, It's got, I mean, it's definitely out of the broadleaf style of family, um, but it doesn't have the same texture. It's thick compared to Cuban seed tobacco, Indonesian tobaccos, those tobaccos, but it isn't quite as thick as a North American grown grown broadleaf strain. But what it does have is it retains its ability to um, withstand higher fermentation temperatures. Um, And the other thing, too, is uh, for many, many years, uh, no offense to my Mexican brothers out there, they didn't do a really good job of fermenting it. They would build it in these massive piles of 10 and 12,000 pounds, and they would flip it with shovels. It, It wasn't that very coordinated you know, build a polo, you know, be very careful with it. Um, and there's still some Mexican farmers that still do that, for those fermentations that way. The other thing that makes Mexican tobacco a little unique is because of the amount of rainfall, they're harvesting the tobacco going into their rainy season. So what ends up happening is Mexican tobacco, when it's hanging in the barn, you have to, uh, it's not fire cured but they definitely have to apply heat inside the barns in order to uh, get a lot of the humidity out, a lot more than you would traditionally see like in Nicaragua. Nicaragua occasionally will have to light a small fire in a barn to try to wick out some moisture. It's pretty much mandatory in Mexico that you do that. And it's one of the things that's kind of changed with the tobacco over the years. For many years, they were using this indigenous wood and it applied a little bit of a smokiness to it. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, when you when you put a Mexican cigar, wrap wrap cigar in your mouth, you take a moment and you smell it and you taste it, you're actually gonna get a little bit of hint, a little bit of whiff, a taste sensation of that smokiness. And that then that that really kind of adds to the product without it being overbearing. It's not like a, a fire cured tobacco or like a Latakia or something like that. It has its own kind of thing. But I mean, just a combination, you know, the 140 inches of rain, average temperature about 80 degrees, the high humidity, it's just really just a beautiful place to, to grow tobacco. So
1: I got a quick question. <clears throat> you, you referenced the tobacco and its, its ability to withstand higher fermentation temperatures. Yes why is that a positive
3: because that's kind of what ends up giving you when you have that what it is is because of the thickness and the texture of the leaf it tends to have more flesh to it more flesh ends up equaling more oil more oil ends up equaling more flavor and it also lets you push it harder in the bulks so that you can achieve a darker hue on Mm. that wrapper and also in the process of being able to push it that way you also end up getting much more of the uh Kind of a sweetness out of it. You'll find with almost all the broad leaves, there's an inherent sweetness. Now, I think Connecticut broad is the more earthy, the more sweet. I look at San Andres Negro as being a bit more refined. The sweetness is there, you know. The texture is there, um, you know. That earthy kind of thing, but you get a little bit more. Um, you get a little bit more kind of a jamminess out of it that makes it different, you know. Yeah. Now, I will say this it doesn't express the oils the same way as broadleaf. So like one of the common techniques is, uh, it's one of the reasons why I think that Mexican wrapper is best used when you press it. I think that when you press the cigar with Mexican wrappers, it ends up helping to kind of move those oils a bit more to the surface Mm. uh, They give you more flavor. And I think if you start just kind of going through your head about the Mexican cigars in the marketplace, I think you probably would find that most of the ones that are the best received are the ones that are actually pressed because that works really well with that tobacco. Now, there's another technique where and I've seen this done where they'll actually take the leaves on the bench and we'll actually roll them into straws. We'll take like 10, 12 overlapping wrapper cuts and we'll put them on the table and then we'll roll them like Play-Doh kind of back and forth into a tube, and that kind of helps to bring some of those oils out. But you don't have to do that when you press the cigar. When you press the cigar, uh, the trunk pressing action helps to really solidify that in a big way. You know,
0: I don't I don't think I had uh, put that together. With this entire line, I mean, we have the, um, I and mean, what I would say, the, the Corona, the um, Intrepido, is what we're smoking here. Uh, it, it does have a uh, it does have a soft press to it. The entire line has a soft press for these,
3: right? Right. I mean, I personally, this is me. I think the best use of a Mexican kappa is when you press it.
0: Mm, interesting. That's
3: that's that's what I think is the best expression of it. Um, but look, and that, pre- that
0: what even evens out the oils, or you said it brings it more to the surface. Or are they just more apparent
3: in the flavor? It just seems to, you know, by bringing it to the surface means you're getting more of it in contact with your palate, with your lips, yeah. with your yeah. tongue, you know what I mean? And it also happens to make it look prettier too, you know, having some of that oil express to the surface. Um, but it's also, it's one of the things that I kind of learned with uh I didn't want to cellophane it, but now I'm cellophaning it all. Because what ends up happening is if it sits on a retailer shelf open too long, it starts to get a little bit of a dusky appearance to it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
3: what I mean? So I don't like that. So I decided to cello sleeve the cigars cause I think it helps to maintain the integrity of the flavor that I want the consumer to get. Now, I have a question for you. You're smoking Intrepido. What was the shape of the pigtail on the Intrepido you smoked? Was it a short little stubby one sticking straight up or was it a curly one? Stubby sticking straight up. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna come clean on this. I actually tweaked the blend in that cigar.
0: You don't uh, say.
3: Yeah, it's it's something I... Ver- in fact, it's the first time I've ever taken a cigar that's in the marketplace and gone back and fixed it. Um, I The ones that have the curly pigtails are the second generation. It's one of those things that when I did the blend, you know, I'm smoking them a year, a year and a half, two years later, I realized, hmm... I think it could be a little bit better and it happens to be one of my favorite formats and sizes. So I went back and just kind of tweaked that one a little. So uh, now I can say this, there're gonna be people that are gonna swear the one with the stubby is better and the one with the <laughs> rosette pigtail isn't. Uh, I mean that's but in the end, I don't care what they think. I'm the one that, you know, because I was actually at the point that I was thinking, man, I really it just doesn't come because one of the things about the syncom compromiso line, is I think the larger sizes are a better ex- expression of the blend. I think the number five, the number seven, the Corona Cigar Exclusive number six, the El Amsterdamer that I made for the Netherlands, uh, you know, and the number two. And, I, and, and, and the Verita Magica, the 7x44, it's got its own characteristics being in that format. And I felt like the 5 and five-eighths by 46, it was kind of like straddling the two, but not to the benefit of either. So I wanted to take the blend and push it a little bit more towards the larger format kind of style. I think the I think the I think the tweak on it has given it more of that more creamy style nature that you get out of the larger formats than you get out of the uh, than you get out of the smaller formats. So um, so I I only smoke the one with the curly heads now, but hey, that's me. That's interesting. interesting. Thanks for sharing, Randy. You got me
1: smoking castoffs over here. <laughs> What's that about? Jeez, what that about?
0: so you say you say you pushed it more towards a, a creamy so so what what uh, characteristics would you say that we should be finding in this that you wanted to blend out
3: well look i you know sincombe miso is one of those blends that it's a very elegant it's a very refined it's a nuanced blend i mean it's you know it's got these layers of cacao and espresso and a light loam. It's got this really unique kind of almost a a chicory root in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like I said, you also get that smokiness in the beginning. Um, You lose some of the smokiness though, once you light it, it's more detectable on the pre-draw. And the thing that I wanted is I I wanted it to be full in flavor. I want it to be rich. I want it to be dense, but I also wanted it to be a little tame and a little subtle. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want the blend to, uh, I didn't want to beat anyone over the head. Now, the downside of that is that's very popular with consumers because consumers ultimately love smooth cigars. Not as popular with some of the bloggers and the reviewers because it isn't a high-octane stick. I mean, I would put it at a medium plus. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a cigar that's going to... Uh, Hit you with pepper. It's not very spicy. It's a it's a much softer style of expression. It's a it's more uh, almost uh, languid. Is that a word? Am I making the word languid up? You know, it's kind of just <laughs> sure. relaxed. You know, it's very chill. You know, and, and that's the way it, it, it's meant to be. And uh, and you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's one of my best blends ever is. That it has that level of balance, mm-hmm. but it also, it gives you a lot of flavor, and I, I think it's a cigar that I think it's a cigar that for a lot of people they would find it very accessible. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whereas you know, like my Toto's Las Diaz Blend or my Miki Rita Tricky Traca Blend, or you know the now or the Naka Tamale, that's that's on a different spectrum. You know, strength wise. Yeah. Um, that's a much different ride than sincompromiso. Sincompromiso is meant to be refined. It's meant to be balanced. It's meant to be soft. It's meant to be gentle. It's meant to be relaxing. That was what my intent was for it.
2: So languid is a person having a disinclination for physical exertion or effort. Oh, that's me, dude. Slow and relaxed. <laughs> I'm languid. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, we lost Robbie.
0: Okay, well well that that was fantastic information. We appreciate that. And I'm going to come back at the end and have you list off the other criollos. Um so uh that's that's a, your primer on San Andreas Negro. Oh, no, I got
3: way more than that. Is that what Oh,
0: um, no. No, keep coming with it, man. This what is mean? what the show is You're about. One of the
3: things, look, there's there's so much misinformation. So historically, San Andreas Negro was a stock cut tobacco like most broad leaves. But the truth is most farmers don't do that anymore. Um, they actually end up priming San Andreas Negro today, but they don't do the kind of primings that we're used to in Nicaragua or Cuba. They're not doing, depending on the number of leaves and the height of the plant, they're not doing you know six, seven, eight, nine primings. Um, typically San Andreas Negro today is harvested in three primings. That's the way the bulk of it is harvested. Um, and the way the typicals, the crop typically breaks down, average plant, you're going to get roughly maybe 43 to 46% kappa. And almost all the kappa comes from the top leaves on the plant. Top six, seven, eight leaves, almost all the kappa ranges in there. And then out of most San Andreas Negro, you're going to end up with about eh, 9 to 12% capote which is the binder. And then pretty much below that, you get about maybe 40% of the plant is what we would consider a filler grade. And then pretty much in every crop of San Andreas, you end up with roughly 5% scrap. And I'm sure somebody's gonna do the math and that didn't add up to exactly 100% because uh-huh. it depends on the crop. It depends on the plants. Um, you know, and when you're getting into those, you know, grades in the kappa range, Some of that tobacco is going to be 19 inches plus in length, which makes it really ideal to use a cigar wrapper because it allows you to make a lot of large formats. But you're pretty much going to find most everything is going to be 17 inches roughly. You have a lot of 17s, and you're going to get some 15s out of it too. But overall, it's a relatively long leaf. I mean, you're looking at probably that 40 44% of kappa, you're probably looking at somewhere around nearly half of it being nineteen inches. And you're only looking at maybe five, you know, five percent of that. Well, I guess, yeah, five percent. Yeah, roughly five percent of that is gonna be in the shorter fifteens. Now, the fifteens tend to they tend to for men out to be more oscuro in color. But mm-hmm. that's one of the things. You see that whole there's really no you, you see Mexican wrapper for cigars classified as you know, Maduro, Oscuro, or like natural, but there's really no difference. That's the same tobacco. It's just some of it ends up being more Colorado Maduro in hue when you get to the end of the fermentation process. And sometimes it ends up being Oscuro. I mean, there's a super popular brand that is really popular that's, you know, Maduro and natural. But if you look at the brand on the shelf, sometimes the naturals are darker than the ones that are labeled as Maduro's because it's really kind of the nature of that tobacco. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's one of these things. So you're, you're looking at a pretty good return, and then the fact that you can push it so hard. Now, like I said, a big shift was going away from those giant ten to 12,000-pound bulks, and they weren't really bulks. They were really just piles. And going to where you would end up, uh, you know, making it into a, a more traditional bulk really tremendously changes how the tobacco ends up uh, coming out in the end. And that, that's part of the SIN process. We don't let them ferment any of the tobacco locally. Not that, you know, like the torrents now, before, but not all the farmers do it differently. And um, so by taking it to Nika and doing that fermentation ourselves, makes a big difference. Because the other thing, too, is they really push those fermentations. I mean, so you like, typically seeds are, like, September-ish. Transplanting happens in October. You're looking at the harvest, December through January. You know, what ends up happening is you go into the curing barn. When you come out of the curing barn, depending on whether you stock cut it or whether you ended up doing the three primings, it's going to kind of determine if there was stock cut. It's going to take a little longer. Um, but it's pretty much the same timetable, a, a touch shorter than broadleaf on the stock in the barn, but not significantly. So, uh, when you do it in typical gavias hanging, um, it's very much on track with Cuban seeds time-wise, but when they go into that first fermentation, it's like literally, it's like a four to six week process. I mean, they push it really hard to get through that first fermentation. And then what they'll end up doing is they'll end up going for a second fermentation, but normally they'll ship it after it's been fermented once and you'll buy it after the first fermentation, and then you're getting it and you're doing the second fermentation yourself. But second fermentation, you'll often push it 50, 55 degrees Celsius is what you'll end up doing. Now, the one thing though about San Andres Negro that's really critical is it's one of the wrapper tobaccos that genuinely requires one of two things. It either requires three and four months of rest after the first second fermentation, and then a third fermentation. Or you have to just let it rest for like literally a year to two years. So most people don't let it rest for a year to two years. Most people opt to do the shorter rest and the uh, and then the less aggressive third fermentation cycle on it. Um, so it's kind of it, it, it's a little bit different than the other tobaccos. I mean, a lot of the techniques are the same, but it, it has its own little idiosyncrasies about it.
2: Uh Steve, am sorry if you already covered this. I've been producing the show furiously <laughs> over here. Um what sometimes you see it as um negro and sometimes you see maran. Is there any other sub varieties? What's the difference between
3: Yeah, those are just terms. I mean the, the problem that you have is look, there's just there's been a very negative connotation for anything Mexican when it comes to cigars. So because of that you find people, you know, you know, kind of branding it differently, you know, San Andres Negro, Mexican Maduro, Mexican Oscuro, Mexican Sungrown, Tuxla Valley Maduro. I mean, I I think on one of my brands, I call it something a little different, you know, when I'm using it as a wrapper, you know, and and also it, you also have kind of like two different grades. You have like, you have like what's generally available from the big growers and there's really there's like two primary growers it's the tarent family and then you have carry on um carry is one of the uh long-standing large growers of uh, of san andreas negro and then you have like gaston rodriguez who has become a really big grower courtesy of drew estate but he started off as a really small grower and there's a few other little smaller farmers and they all end up coming up with their own little way to kind of brand it to make it sound a little sexier but it's all pretty much the same thing. And I think in the case of Mexico they kind of got a little bit of a bad knock because you know for many years they could only make Mexican cigars solely with Mexican tobacco. There was a there was a government ban basically a protectionist thing that in order to make cigars in Mexico, it had to be made out of all Mexican tobacco. So they were essentially making puros out of San Andres Negro. And um, It's one of those things, and particularly as a filler, it can be pretty aggressive as a filler. So you have to... It can be good at a blend, but it has to be used sparingly. It can be a bit overpowering mm. as filler tobacco. So... What ends up happening is that's why you ended up getting all those kind of funky, barnyardy kind of, you know, what some people would just consider the the epitome of a stinky cigar was a Mexican cigar. Um, you know, mm-hmm. part of that was because they were not allowed to use any tobaccos from another country for a long time. And then they kind of they outlawed that. They changed their policy on that, but then they put a crazy tariff on importing other tobaccos. And that, that made the situation, so it's only been like recently, when I say recently, I mean the last decade, that the Mexican uh, cigar people have been able to make cigars using other tobaccos. Um, I mean, they had their Mexican Sumatran that had come into the country as a result of, what was his name? Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, Sucrano, I think, Sucrano. He was a guy that basically took over Indonesia in the nationalist movement in 1949, and they kicked all the Dutch botanists out of the country, and they all ended up going to Mexico and translating the Sumatran seeds that were being grown in Indonesia huh. in Mexico. And then also in the year roughly early 2000s, you also saw the introduction of uh, the Cuban seed habana 2000 uh, now being grown in Mexico. So it gave the Mexicans something more to work with But at the same time, you've also always had that issue of terroir, where all these different varieties, even though you had these three primary varieties, they were all still being grown in relatively, well, not relatively, in the same ecosystem, the same climate. So you didn't get the type of diversity compared to, you know, you're in Nicaragua and you can buy tobacco from anywhere. You know, you can buy ingredients from Brazil, you can buy ingredients from Dominican, you can buy this, you can buy that. Uh, The Mexicans were at a really, they were at a severe disadvantage. And as a result, Mexican cigars had a very distinctive flavor. And that distinctive flavor, even though it was wildly popular, you know, know, in the 60s and 70s, it kind of fell out of favor. And as a result, it made anything Mexican bad. So if it wasn't, uh, you know, when you think of Mexico, what do you think of? You think of spring break. You think of tequila. You think of drug cartels. I mean, I mean. I mean, I think Corona beer has helped those guys a lot in the, uh, the advent of uh, tequila now becoming a popular drink rather than just something you blow your brains out with. That's that <laughs> helped a lot. Um, but so, you know, there's always been, you know, all those terms, the Morones and all that was really just kind of a way to put lipstick on a pig. But it was always <laughs> the exact same right. tobacco. And honestly, <clears throat> it's, it's a great tobacco. It never deserved the negative press that it got. You know, it's just kind of like, but when you're making cigars out of just one tobacco, yeah, it's gonna take a certain flavor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, you know, so they really had the deck stacked against them. Yeah. So, but uh, I think it's I think it's come a long, long way um, from where we were before. Now that being said, j- just to
0: to kind of finish up here, and, and and we're gonna take a a moment to, to pay the bills before we get into the sin compromiso uh, usage and the uh, also famous cultivo tonto. Um, but but uh, th- that being said, during that whole period where Mexican manufacturers had to make puros, they still exported this tobacco so that it could be made outside the country in proper blends?
3: Oh, yeah. The Mexicans so. were very happy to allow them to send it to other countries and bring money into Mexico. They just wouldn't let the Mexican makers, you know, use other tobaccos.
0: Well, fantastic. Uh, On that note, I would like to say a special thank you to Smoke In, who is a wonderful sponsor of Flavor Odyssey and provides uh, the ability to smoke these fabulous cigars, such as the Sin Compromiso from Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Uh, And we also would like to thank our show sponsor, Drew Estate, Flavor Odyssey is brought to you tonight, as always, by our good friends at Drew Estate. Our relationship with Drew Estate is special. Yes, <laughs> 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 had to do it. Too. Uh, much like the special or limited editions Drew Estate has to offer this winter, Drew Estate has also some of the most amazing offerings now available, such as the Brother of the Leaf Brown Label. The Undercrown Shady 20 and one of our personal favorites here at Flavor Odyssey and what we will be pairing with next week, the Undercrown Maduro Dojo Dogma. If you want to make your smoking sessions extra special, try a limited edition from Drew Estate. You can find your Drew Estate cigars anywhere cigars are sold. Head to DrewEstate.com forward slash store locator to find the shop nearest you and experience the rebirth of cigars.
1: Randy? I just, I just want you to read me stories. <laughs> just, just read stories to me uh, like every day. I'm, I'm going to call you every time I'm driving into work and just have you read the newspaper to me or something. <laughs>
0: and, uh, I, I appreciate that. You know, I work really hard on my live reads.
1: I won't lie. <laughs> and and uh, give you a hard time and make you mess up. You actually do a really good job, uh, which I think is why we give you a hard time because we're all so insecure. <laughs> uh, apologies. My power went out earlier.
3: Yeah, uh,
1: it, it went out for about three minutes and then came right back on. I don't know what that was about, but uh, rude. I know, right? <laughs> it is so rude. rude. But uh, well, you do live in California, back,
2: right? I mean, it's probably some rolling, yeah. They had to take a break. Rolling blackouts, yeah, to, you you know?
1: Know? brownouts, or whatever yeah. they call them these days. Although brownout sounds like something different. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll move on. Um, I want to check in on the pairing, Randy. Yes. How's this pairing working for you? Because I know you're not a big, I, you you've moved on from the peated scotch. I saw you drinking beer a second ago, so right. uh, I'm going to call you out. But I I'm curious, how did that pairing go for you? So I I'm I'm not going to
0: hide my true feelings. Uh, a heavy peated character is not something that I find uh, all that pleasant. I found that with Rauch beers uh, many years ago as. Uh, as uh, similar s- peat-smoked barley is used in a, a German style of beer that uh, imparts that same heavy, heavy smoke character. Um, we also have smoked uh, a fire-cured cigar here on the show. I think that was in uh, season one. And, uh, and it's, it's something that I find overpowering and de- de- detracts and distracts from uh, some of the nuanced flavors that I really enjoy in, in both my libation and my cigar. So I actually took the smallest sip of that Lag 16 and poured the rest into a other receptacle and moved
1: directly <laughs> on <laughs> That's well, such a waste. Well, <laughs> uh, just don't pour out the distiller's edition. I'll come by and pick that back up. Well, no,
0: after, after hearing you and Saka <laughs> describe it, it sounds like that one would be much more um, <laughs> you know in line with, with my palate. And so I've, sw- I, I, I've moved on to the Belvini. 14-year uh, Caribbean cask, which is a Scotch that I enjoy uh, very, very much. I'm not sure that it is the best Scotch to pair with this, um, but I, but it is a little sweeter. It does have have uh, uh, a lot more of that um, that barley uh, Scotch character that that I do enjoy quite a bit. Um, to Steve's earlier point, I, I do find this to be uh, slightly less sweet of of a Uh, san andreas wrapped cigar it it doesn't have that quite uh sticky chocolate sweetness that a lot of them do it it does have a little bit more of that uh that cocoa espresso uh note to it um also something else that i think i would have expected just reading about the blend and and thinking about uh a a dunbarton uh blend a sacca blend in general i would that i would have expected probably a little bit more spiciness it it is a very very subdued spice um so so it is a lot more that that uh that that earthiness that um and the the, i mean honestly the the cocoa um and espresso characters really are 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 prominent they're going fantastic with this imperial brown ale that that
1: randy we can't use a brown ale anymore it's like 70 percent of our pairings are brown ale you gotta stop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, this this do is where work. I get a
3: little confused. I, I've never been a pairing guy. I've always been kind of like, I like to drink this, I like to smoke that, so therefore it goes together.
1: It, well, maybe you're just really lucky.
3: And, yep. and the other two is, look, just as a general rule of thumb, sweeter things pair better with cigars. Bourbons tend to pair better than, yep. than scotches. Um, wines tend to be really difficult unless they're like the heavier, really well-aged reds. Um, you know the the heavier style beers you know that tend to have a bit more body and a bit more depth tend to be better than like a Hefeweizen you know yeah. or a white style beer right. or a citrusy beer you know what i mean Uh, anything that has any sort of uh anything that has any sort of uh, a chocolate kind of note to it in a drink is almost always a great pairing
2: yeah, and absolutely. A lot
3: of times, you know, look, uh, uh, Dr. Pepper is a great pairing it for is. A cigar for me. Uh, mm-hmm. When I go to Arby's, I can't pass an Arby's without getting a Jamocha shake. A Jamocha <laughs> shake and a cigar is like a fat guy's love affair. <laughs> I don't buy the food. I don't even know what the food tastes like. I can't say it's good or bad, but, man, that Jamocha shake, whoo, that's, like some, that's some money in a cup. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That is
1: amazing. We'd we like to push the envelope with the pairings a little bit. Randy, do me a favor. Yes, do sir. Do you have Do you have a, a clean glass there with you? Can you get your hands on one? I can get my hands on one pretty quick. And do you still have that uh, that abalore there? That's the abalore Twelve. That's I do. I do. Try, try that. It's a, okay. a little pour of that. That's that's going to be more. It's different than what Steve's drinking, but it's going to be more along the lines of what he's drinking because it's, okay. it's finished in sherry cask. Yeah. A very good. Uh, that's, that's one of my personal favorites, especially for an approachable price point. Uh, for I think that's about 50 bucks a bottle. It's not, uh, not going to kill you. Um, and that's the Abalor 12. Very, very tasty. Uh, and Steve, I, I, I looked up. You're absolutely correct. This, um, this Distiller's Edition, it's double matured. So it spends the first 16 years in oak, right. and then it's finished in uh, Pedro Jimenez sherry cask. So that's exactly what uh, you're absolutely correct. That's what smooths it out.
3: To me this pairing has been very very good. Like I said it's it is the scotch of choice for me when I want to drink an Isla with a cigar.
1: Yeah, you're uh, you're not wrong. I've I've had this for a while and I I don't, uh, I don't I tend to only have smoky scotches in the winter time. So for me this is kind of a perfect pairing right now. It's got it's it's still a little bit sweet, but it's got that smoky aspect. I'm getting a lot of chocolate from the cigar, the the cacao that you were talking about. It's a uh, it's a real nice kind of like smoky hot chocolate vibe mm. with a little bit of uh, uh, like those Luxardo cherry. Maybe you drop one of those cherries in there. You get a little bit of uh,
3: uh, of uh, like a like a stew. What's stu- a Luxardo cherry? guys, billionaires can't it's afford a $50 them. Fifty right? dollar cherry. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I, I was just about to say, Rob's what always going to bring up the cherry. Seriously, I'm, I'm, a, what, I'm a,
3: they're they're uh, they're like
1: maraschino cherries basically, but the, the luxardo is a brand I guess. They're cherries. They're soaked in that real thick. Uh, I, I don't think it's a liqueur that they're in, but I'm not really sure. But it's got uh, like you use it in a Manhattan. Okay. For um, but it's it's like a like a cherry cordial almost. You know, the chocolate yeah. with the cherry in the middle, and that uh, those are really too sweet for me. But you, you get the general idea. It's just yeah. it's more of a, a stewed kind of cherry. There's it a bit
3: really of a syrup to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a deeper flavor, not like a not like cherry pie where it's going to be tart, you know? Um, so that's that's what I'm getting here. It's very cool across the board. I wish I was sitting in front of a little uh, campfire because uh, I'd be warmer,
3: but um, it's uh, but the pairing, it, to me, is working out really, really well. Let me say that about Sin Compromiso. I think it's a terrible cigar to smoke outside in windy conditions. Mm. I think that in order to really appreciate the cigar think you really need to have that aroma of it wafting around you. I think that when you smoke it in a windy setting, um, I think that the wind taking that away makes the cigar a little dull and a little flat. So I don't I don't really recommend it for somebody that smokes outside when it's windy. It's not the most durable. It's not the cigar that you can be ripping in your truck with the windows open at 70 miles an hour. You know what I mean? The the blend is not gonna hold up to that. It's not like an ombagog or a mique rita where you can just do whatever the hell you want. I think look, sim compromisos are expensive. I think the one the one we're smoking tonight is fifteen forty five. Um, I just think it's a waste to I not smoke it. it in a setting where you can just kinda sit and ponder. You know what I mean? Simmer in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, funny, it's funny you would point that out. when I have, I've got a little fan
1: going in here. It's not Uh-oh. blowing on me or anything like that, just to keep the smoke going out the garage door. And when the power went out, I was smoking the cigar in the dark, and uh, the, the aroma was just kind of hanging out around me. Yeah. And I got, a, I got a good whiff of it, and I thought, man, this cigar smells really good. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not common that I say that. I'm not a big oro, cigar aroma guy.
3: I uh, well I... normally when you're smoking a cigar, you normally don't. Obviously, we sense the aroma different when you're smoking it versus everybody around you and in the room. But I just know that in windy conditions, it just makes a cigar dull to me. It mm. just takes it takes away from its character, and it's already more of a subtle style blend. And you paid fifteen to eighteen dollars for it. You don't want to waste it. You know what no. I mean. Um, look, there's so many little things about cigars. And look, I have no control. I have no control over how the consumer stores it. I have no control over how they light it. I have no control over how quickly they pull on it or draw on it. And I certainly have no control over where they choose to smoke it and under what conditions. But I'm just saying to you, I think you're wasting your money if you're going to smoke it outside on a windy night. I really do. I think I think it's just a waste of cash. I, I, I would sp- I wouldn't use the cigar for that. Okay, with everything that we've gone over, and
0: this has been awesome. I really appreciate uh, your, your knowledge and, and what you're willing to share with us here on, on San Andreas. Let's go ahead and get into Cultivo Tonto and, uh, and, 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 and what you do specifically and how it, it creates a, a variance within the San Andreas uh, profile and flavor experience.
3: All right. So going back to what I was originally saying, most of the wrapper comes from the top six to eight leaves on the plant to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, but they grow the whole plant, obviously. Um, I had read this article about these Japanese farmers who grow this specific musk melon, and they call it a royal crown musk melon, and they were originally grown just for the royal family. And these melons, they range in price from $120 all the way up to $400 for one slightly larger than a cantaloupe melon. And, uh, And the premise behind this is What they do is this typical variety of musk melon that they grow, the vine will support somewhere between 18 to 22 fruit. But what they do is when the vine starts to blossom out, they pluck all the blossoms off it except for two. And they only Mm. allow two melons to start. And then basically they choose which of the two melons they think is going to be the best of the two. And they pluck that small melon off and they throw it away. And the entire vine is devoted to just one melon. So what you have is you have roughly 100 square feet, a 10 by 10 area, that's growing just one piece of fruit, okay, And, and the concept behind this is that you have this system, this root system, this vine system, this support system that would normally provide nourishment to 18 to 22 melons is now able to dedicate all of that energy just towards this one piece of fruit and the end result is that the fruit ends up being fleshier, it ends up being sweeter, it ends up being juicier. And hence, these are the melons that were grown specifically for the royal Japanese family. In addition to that, there's some other very weird Japanese things things they do where they kind of like, you know, chant with the melon and rub the melon and <laughs> sing to the melon. But But the basic concept is this thing. And if you think about it, this is really... We do this on a lot of things, right? I mean, this is how the best weed is grown, right? I was gonna make that reference. You start stripping off this, you, you don't try to get all the weed, you just basically try to get the best. You focus everything into it. And it was something that I always wanted to try with tobacco, but it's a very hard thing to do with tobacco because tobacco is such an expensive crop to grow. And I'm basically saying, hey, I wanna basically take all the leaves off the bottom half of the plant and I wanna throw them away just as they begin to leaf off the stalk. So you're literally, you're literally throwing away half the tobacco off the plant before it even starts to grow. Mm-hmm. You're only focusing the energy into those six to eight leaves at the top that were probably gonna be the only ones that were gonna ultimately be wrapper. But just focusing on those six to eight leaves, you're not getting half the crop, you're really only getting about 30% of the crop because the leaves that would have been at the bottom of the plant would have grown much larger, which would have given you way more weight Okay, and look, we buy tobacco based on the pound. You know what I mean? We don't buy it based on the leaves. So you're really essentially doing this, you're throwing away like 70% of the money. And on top of that, you're also having to go and do more labor, because you're having to strip those leaves off the plant as they're just starting to leaf out. So you're having to do a lot more tending. And when you start stripping leaves off tobacco, you end up getting what we call suckers, and they all need to be stripped off also. Now, normally what ends up happening is when you're doing primings, you pull the first priming off, you pull the second priming off, you're getting suckers. But when you're going through to do the third priming, well, you're pulling the suckers off from the primings you did previously. So it's kind of a continual process. But with this, you're basically stripping this tobacco off from the beginning before the top leaves have even really gotten much of a start. And you're cooking suckers off continuously through the crop. So it's really a very labor-intensive process. You're essentially – I'm paying about – 125% for 30% of the tobacco oh, is about sure. the way the math works out. So, but, you know, this idea of, you know, look, everybody's using the same things. We're all it's all San Andreas Negro. There's basically only a few farmers that grow it. So you're trying to come up with something unique, something individual, something different. And so we did a pilot crop of this in 2015, really small, to see how it worked. And then we did a test crop in 2016. It was, well, actually, the pot crop was 2014. The mm-hmm. test crop was 2015. Um, and I started blending Sincompromiso using that test crop. And the thing is, you always wonder if you're buying into your own bullshit. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I thought it was sweeter. I thought it was nicer. I thought it had more flavor, yada, yada, yada. So in the end, what ultimately ended up happening is I buy the same San Andreas Negro seed, from the same farm, from the same farmer, that is done the traditional way that it's done. Okay, I basically said to the factory, okay, here's the blend. Put 50 of the normal wrappers on it. Put 50 of the, sin, the okay. cultivo tanto wrappers on oh, it. Wow. And the word cultivo tanto means foolish cultivation it's just <laughs> stupid. We're throwing away you know 70 of the money <clears throat> is what we're doing. I say you know put 50 50. And when I did the blind taste test, I did, you know, don't tell me which is which, Uh A and B, B, that's all. I knew right away. I could tell the difference. And once Uh I bought into it, I then was like, okay, let's go serious. Let's plant a real substantial crop. Let's put the money into it. And And it has a lot to do with why the price is what the price is. It just costs more to do that. Now, I think it makes a difference. Ultimately, the consumers, they're the ones with the wallets. They get to decide if they think it makes a difference. I think it does. Um, but obviously, other manufacturers and other growers don't because nobody's copied it yet, right? <laughs> uh,
0: but, so, I, I mean, I... <laughs> well, I, I got to ask because, you know, you talk about the labor intensity, intensity of this crop, Um which it clearly is, is, is this based on, uh, you know, relationships with you that you had with farmers? Was it yeah. just simply a financial, like,
3: I'll pay well, for it so don't worry about it? Or? I mean, it's look, it's billionaire, people, Randy, billionaire, Do whatever you're willing to tell them to do if you're willing to pay them. Billionaire. Because right? they'll be like, it's your money. You're a moron, but I'll do it. You know what right, I mean? Right, So, uh, <laughs> you know, so as long as you're willing to pay and they trust that you're going to pay, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you can't just go to, look, it's a pain in the ass project. Yeah. It requires somebody on that end that also has a little bit of like, huh, I wonder, you know, let's try it. Let's see what happens. So you need a little bit of a curiosity factor there in mm-hmm. order to make it work. You know, it's, uh, it's but then, you know, there's a couple of little other things we do. Um, you know, I talked about earlier how they apply heat in the barns um, during their fermentation process. Uh, most have gone to either using... Um, uh, a propane burner to do that because it's the most efficient or they've gone to using these uh, pre-packaged uh, charcoals that are made out of, I don't even know where the wood comes from um, but I for this project we use the indigenous wood, we actually make our own charcoal out of it okay, yeah. so we're using that traditional local variety I just think it adds a again, am I I don't know, but I'm there. So, you know, it's one of the things. The other thing we do different is um, we do it in the, you know, obviously we don't have three primings, okay? But Mm -hmm. we end up having typically where normally those top six to eight leaves would be just one priming in the cycle. For us, those top six to eight leaves are typically two primings. So we end up getting a little bit longer duration on the plant um, that way. The other thing is we don't let them ferment it there in mexico uh we ship it all to nicaragua so that we can do the fermentation in a much more traditional cuban way um the other thing that we've kind of changed with the process is um we don't tend to really ever add much water during the bulking of this tobacco it's very very rare that we have to uh, have to do that and i i, I like i I'm a big believer that water often is the greatest enemy of tobacco. I think it's a big enemy in the field. I mean, it makes for really beautiful, lush-looking plants, super green. But it also tends to make for slightly weaker plants. Mm. Um, I think the plant being a little deprived um, helps it a lot. You know what I mean? So I, I like to cut the irrigation down in the field. I like to cut down mm. on the amount of water, you know, you know as, mu- as little mojado processing as possible during the fermentation of the tobaccos. Um, the other thing is we still press it up to that 50, 55 degrees Celsius, but we let it, we turn the bulks much more frequently. We let it go a little bit gentler to kind of get there. And, you know, and we also tend to back off a lot quicker. I mean, we never really, I say 50, we don't really get to 55 very often on it um you know it tends to be a little again we're just kind of babying it the whole way along and we're just trying to get it to be you're trying to take something that's inherently a rougher style tobacco and you're just trying to make it a little bit more nuanced a little softer a little gentler and you know for some of the people listening to this they'll be like that's absolutely the last thing i want in my cigar you know what i mean I mean, if you live on a steady diet of, you know, double Lajeros and Nicaraguan Puros, then this cigar isn't really probably for you. Now, as far as the rest of the blend, um, it's one of the blends that I don't disclose the farm that I use. Um, because until all now, the, no, no, all the <laughs> tobacco for this are an independent plantation grown tobacco that's grown for this. And if I ended up saying the farm, it's much different than me saying it's this or that. It would be instantly everybody like, oh, I know where he's getting the vast majority of this recipe, the ingredients he's using in his recipe. And the other thing too is um, for the binder, this is where I use the um, the, the thin Lajero that uh, ends up being, um, it ends up being a little too, uh, it ends up being, I call it thin Lajero The problem is it's too thick. It's actually the wrapper that I sort out from the regular Sobra Mesa, the Mm, Acro that's grown at the Lameca Farm by the Oliva tobacco family. Um, The wrapper that I feel is a little too thick actually ends up becoming the binder on this. So actually, it doesn't actually have a true binder grade tobacco in the cigar. It's actually a wrapper grade tobacco that doesn't meet the criteria texturally that I want for the irregular Sober Mesa, that would be a wrapper on many other cigars, that actually becomes the binder. And that's me trying to balance out, you know, using all the parts and pieces of the cow. You know what I mean? I have to buy so much Ecuador Habano every year to make these cigars. And as a result, some of it ends up being a little thicker. And the thing is that thickness, it also provides a lot of flavor. So in mm-hmm. this case, uh, the binder does actually help to contribute to the flavor of the cigar in a, in a pretty significant way. And look, it's the same thing, too. The Cultivo Tanto binder, because um, I get binder, as much as I like to say those six to eight leaves all end up as wrapper, they don't. Right. Um, I Whatever ends up being of a binder grade, that tends to go into other projects here and there. More of the smaller batch really stuff because I don't get a lot of it. You know, but you know, I'm always trying to find a way if it's good, I don't want to sell it because when you sell it, you sell it typically at a loss when it's a part or a piece. So, I don't want to take perfectly good tobacco and waste it. So, I always try to find a way to integrate it someplace else to make it contribute to the blend. But I don't get enough of the Cultivo Tanto binder to actually launch a whole line on, you know.
0: I, I really like the analogy of, of the using the different pieces of the cow. Cause the way you describe uh-huh. that is very uh, much in the line of culinary uh, kind of efforts. As you're developing a menu, uh, you, you don't want to bring an ingredient into your kitchen where it's only going into one of your dishes. Of you want to incorporate that into multiple uh, you know, dishes in
3: the menu. Uh, so you so you it's very find, curated that way. You got to find a place to use those carrot tops. You got to find exactly. a place to use exactly. all those other things. And it's, and it's look, Look, overall, my cigars tend to be on the expensive side because I tend to buy at the top tier of everything. And and I'm still able to do that because I'm not large enough that I'm getting force-fed on certain crops. But there are certain crops I am force-fed on. Cultivo tanto. I'm the sole current customer. So I've got to figure out a way to use all of that tobacco. That particular tobacco that I use in the filler, I'm on the hook for that tobacco. I have to use it so i have to find a way to you know to use those things it isn't like where i get to cherry pick out you know this or that so there there are certain tobaccos that i'm really locked into figuring out to do what to do or i ultimately have to sell it at a loss and i do cuz there's some tobaccos i don't want to use and i have to sell them at a loss but ultimately the consumer pays for that too cuz i can't ignore the fact that no, you know course. in order to make x i have to have y And when I have Y, I'm going to end up with Z that isn't usable anywhere. And that's the benefit of when you own an actual factory. You then have bundle cigars and you have mixed filler cigars and you have, you know, you have all these different grades of cigars. You know what I mean? You got your $4 cigar, you got your $6 cigar, you got your $10 cigar, you got your $22 cigar. You have places to put all these parts and pieces, but I'm pretty much making $12 and up cigars. I mean, I think the only cigar I have below the $10 mark is umbagog and umbagog exists because i need a place to put the broadleaf that i don't consider to be good enough grade to put on Mike rita perfectly great tobacco but not as aesthetically pleasing you know a little bit more veiny a little bit more bumpy a little bit more uh spotty a little bit of manchar here and there so you know that ends up going into umbagog but i can take that tobacco and i can convert it into something that is usable but there are certain tobaccos that the only way i can make use of them is if i started making a much lower grade product. And mm. that's just, uh, you, you. I don't think that's possible if you're not the factory owner.
2: Mm. That's, uh, it's that's one important. of these
3: things that I find really, like I saw a small brand owner just recently launched like a $3 bundle. God bless you. I hope you do well. You're an idiot. It's not going to work. <laughs> okay. Not, uh, you, you, you cannot play at that game. That is the game that factories that are producing sixty to 100,000 handmade cigars every day, they do it because they're just cash recovering. Right. That's what they're doing. They don't want to make those cigars. They have to make those cigars. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, 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 I'm always perplexed. It's the same reason why I don't play in the $5 to $7 range, because the reality is A.J. Fernandez, Nick Perdomo, Drew Estate. Those guys, they, Altidus, STG, they all have all the advantages. Right. So no matter what I make, I still can't make something because they'll make something that's 5 to $7 and then sell it to the big box guys for $2. You know what I mean? You, you, you can't play there. So for me, the place that I can play in the playing field is still costs me more, but I can play at the top tier and be competitive. I can't really play at the I can't play at the bottom at all. The bottom is just stupid, anyone that tries to go there. And I, I would actually argue that even trying to play in the five to eight dollar range. It's tough. I just don't think that I don't think that the brand owner guy that doesn't own the factory, doesn't own the fields, can make as good a five to eight dollar cigar as the people that own all that stuff. All right. They just have all the built in advantages. So no Cuban sandwich coming soon? <clears throat> Oh, look, I, I made Popetta, right? Popeta's made off the oh, table trimmings of Mique rita, tricky trock, and Umbagog, but you know, but you don't see me trying to sell popetas. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm cherry picking and I'm making a really super top end mixed tripa style cigar, but I mean, honestly, I, I, I know I can't compete there. Now, if someday, God willing, I'm making, you know, five million Mique ritas a year then okay, maybe there'll be enough of that tobacco that I can do that. Then maybe I, then I'll be like, okay, I can make this into something that's sellable and sustainable. But at my current level, I, I can't do that at all. <laughs>
1: I, I I love
3: talking to you, Steve, because I I love your view of this
1: industry. And because I've, I've seen a lot of this industry in the last, I don't know however long I've been doing this, uh, a, a bunch of different sides of it. And uh, you articulate it so well it's 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 a tough industry to do you kind of have to you you kind of have to know your lane you know what i mean like you got you stay stay in your lane and uh i, I think that I, I don't know if this is coming out right but i think you you are probably the best in this industry at understanding what your lane is
3: well it's not even understanding my lane it's just i know what goes into everything sure And I know what it takes to compete in all those different segments because I've been in all those segments. I was executive. I mean, I slung more one and two dollar cigars than you could ever believe. I mean, you know, so I mean, I was there at Drew Estate when we were making one hundred, one hundred and ten thousand cigars a day. You know, so having that experience is tremendous. You know, most guys that are in my current, you know, um, cap size. I mean they, they don't have the benefit of that type of experience. You know, they're they're, I mean, they're sure. still they're still learning. And then you've got guys that are really good talent, you got people that are great marketers, but they don't really know a lot about tobacco. You got guys that don't really know a lot about factory operations, you got guys that are really good with tobacco, but and cigars but they don't really understand how distribution works they don't understand how you know branding and price point strategies and you know consumers i mean there's a lot to know mm-hmm. it's 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 tough man it's it's, it's a hard road to hoe and i uh, i know how difficult it's been for our small family company and i think that we've been incredibly successful but at the same time I mean it's not without a lot of blood, a lot of sweat. It's it it's 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 not an easy it's not an easy game to play. It really Absolutely. isn't.
1: Absolutely. It is it is the best industry to get into if you want to lose a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, uh it's yeah, it, it's tough, man. Um
3: year, I mean I was I was talking to Laf Laffney's our VP of sales today and we were we were going to our sales projections for next year and um I uh We were just talking about you know brands that were like heralded brands just three four years ago, and they're just like already non-existent.
2: Yeah, let's name them.
3: No, these these are people that you had on your program, and you know they're all good guys, and they're all working hard, and they're making good products, and that isn't enough.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There are people in this industry that I think are amazing people. And they make cigars that are very, very good, and it's and they're struggling. No. It's hard, man. It is a tough,
2: tough no. industry. It's,
1: and I had I had no idea before I, I started working with Mombacho, and I, I got to spend a couple of years, you know, going on the road with our our salespeople and 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 walking into uh, shops in Tupelo, Mississippi, and one of Spring Street, one of my favorite places. I love that shop. Um, but uh, just walking in there and it, people. It's it's such a difficult difficult industry, it's it's a small industry to begin with, and then it's even smaller than you really think it is. Right. It's
3: uh it's it's tough. Highly competitive, all the advantages are to the big players, and and look and you know and it, it, if it was just a question of hey, those that make the best cigars would win, it would be different. But that's not what it is.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: There's a cool. lot more to it. That's difficult. And, it's, and you it's... are right, Robbie. I. I was very clear from the beginning as to what my lane was gonna be. And everything I do is targeted towards that lane. Absolutely. Everything is targeted towards that higher end. And look, it's gonna limit my growth. I mean, if I had a $6 cigar, I would sell a boatload of them. But the problem is I'd be just moving the furniture around the room and not making any money. Yeah. And I would hit a point where to get larger distribution, uh, the big guys—they're gonna want, you know, a minimum of 20, and sometimes as much as 40, and they're gonna want crazy amounts of bulk. And I could never give them what they needed to ever make that six-dollar cigar grow into a really big brand because yeah. the math, the mechanics, the taxes, the distribution—it's just not there. You can't do it. So I, you know, and I, I know I, I get consumers all the time. Can I make a great six-dollar cigar? Fuck yeah, I can make a great $6 cigar. But I can't do it as a business. It would be a failure. In the end, it would end up dragging the company down, you know. And uh, so I just, right from the jump, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to be happy selling less and just making higher quality. And that's where I'm going to be. And I don't make any, I tell people, my cigars cost more. You pay more when you smoke one of my cigars you know but i think that they're a good value i think that when you compare them to the other cigars in the price point i think that they hold up well yeah and that's also something that the benefit of pedigree allows me to do sure I mean, it's a good when way you're to put it. a small boutique manufacturer and you launch a brand like Sin Compromiso that's 1785 you know for a toro and i don't even know if that's the right price but somewhere around there right <laughs> close enough yeah i mean <laughs> You pretty much get laughed out of the room by most retailers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: You know. It's, so. Well, I mean. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And this has been this has been a blast. You've uh, I was I, I I didn't review the cigar or anything, and anybody nobody really cares what I have to say, and I have a terrible palate. But um, <laughs> I was uh, I was a little bit critical of this cigar the first two times I smoked it. This is the third time I've smoked this cigar, and listening to you talk about it, the process behind it and the and what you were trying to achieve with the cigar i don't think i totally understood it going into it. i don't think I, I understood what the expectation was i think that i um and i'm not making excuses i'm just being honest no, look
3: my general style is heavier stronger more yep. robust exactly. style cigars yeah it is but i also have to think about you know to grow a company i need to have something like this i can tell you the retailers that do well with this cigar it's one of the few cigars that they say their Padron guys actually will smoke again. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to get a guy that smokes Padron 1964s to smoke another brand ever? I mean, that's just unbelievable how difficult that is. I mean, and I'm not saying that I'm gunning Padron and I'm gonna, no, that's I'm not delusional. <laughs> okay, but, just, <laughs> but I mean, that is really kind of who it's kind of meant for. Just the mm-hmm. same way as, look, brulee is not meant for the person that loves Unstolen Valor. Those are whew, those yep. are two totally different worlds apart, different consumers. Now, yeah, there are going to be some consumers, look, I love brulee. I-, I love Tricky Truck. I love Unstolen Valor. But that's me. It's my cigars. You know what I mean? And there's some consumers that like having that kind of, but most aren't that way. Most kind of have their own lane. Yeah. This is the style of what they like to smoke. This is what they like to eat. This is what they like to drink. And, but I'm thinking long-term about, you know, trying to have something that's going to, you're not going to have anything that appeals to everybody, but what you're hoping is that in the portfolio, there'll be something that they will find that will suit them and treat them well and that they find enjoyable. Because, I mean, you smoke a Sober Mesa Brulee and you smoke one of those popettas and pooh, or like the firecrackers that just sold. Those firecrackers, those, those, those are pretty zippy little cigars. You know, Zippy. Like, I like that. <laughs> I mean, so I think it's uh, it's it's it, it, it's more of a kind of a looking at a big picture kind of approach as Absolutely. to where I want things to go. And and I don't ever think about as much as I talked about us going over sales. We were going over sales projections. I basically I came up with what I made. A li- I said, this is what I think we're going to do next year. And I said, here, Lafferty, you come up with what you think we're going to do next year. And oddly enough, we came up like, I think in the end, we came up within, I don't know, like 50,000 cigars independently, you know, in our projections based on, and everything's based on trend. It's not based on hopes or dreams or wants, Um, you know, but uh, you know, I've never been really super Uber sales focused. I've always felt like I do the right thing. I brand it well, I market it well, I explain it well to consumers the product is worth smoking it's priced fairly for what the product is that eventually we'll have a chance to get there you know what i mean we'll have yeah. a chance cuz i look at a lot of people and i don't i think they're just they don't they don't even realize it they're already out of business but they just don't know it, <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it, it jordan are you going to ask him again you want to name them?
2: Let's, let's do it. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Steve, if you, if you can go ahead and just list off some of those companies that are out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's like, watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. A <laughs> stock it's, market. Just, it's just the three of us here. Right, <laughs> honestly, 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 I bet, I bet. Right
3: now, I'm going to bet that mm-hmm. question asked to people that are in the media realm, I don't think their answer would be all that accurate. I was...
1: Oh, really? I was going to say, I bet if we all did a blind... Pa- and look, we're kind of making light. I don't want to see anybody go out of business. And no, yeah. none of us.
3: It's not good. And look, but and look, what I'm and saying is... So I've, too, and I've always taken... And I took this approach when I first joined Drew Estate, because when I was at Drew, they were focused on, oh, well, what's Dion doing? What's Pete doing? What's, you know, what's CAO doing? And I'm like, stop. They're not our competitor. Right. Our competitor is general. Our competitor is out Our competitor are those guys. You know, I, I love my brother, Nicholas Malello. I want nothing but the best in the world for him. I don't want to steal a million dollars of his business every year. That's that's not my goal, you know what I mean? What I want to do is I want to get consumers to understand that there is something different than the corporate smokes that are made. Yep. There is a higher quality. You can spend a little bit more money, but get a tremendously better experience. And in order for me to be successful at that, it really requires a lot of the smaller manufacturers to be better because that's the thing that you have to do. You actually have to be better. Okay. Because they got all the marketing, they got the sales team, they got the brand recognition, they got all the economic advantages. They got all the distribution, they got everything. So the only thing you got is potentially to make a cigar that's better. So for me, when I see a small maker make cigars that aren't all that great, uh, it actually it hurts me too because mm. retailers mm. have bad experiences with brand X, brand Y, brand Z and here I come along with brand G I was yeah. like dude, we've been there we've done this crap. Mm. you know what I mean the shit doesn't sell you know what I mean So it actually doesn't help when people that are in my segment cap wise don't fare well. It actually hurts all of us in the long run. It's well, a good point. I mean, and and that's one of the things that I think sometimes people lose sight of. You know, they get a little petty and they get a little jealous and they see someone's hot at the moment and they want to kind of like start being a little negative and this and that. That's actually not the thing. What you want to do is you wanna start cutting into the giant European owned conglomerates, the people that are soulless, the people that are profit and loss, the people that are, you know, entirely so- look, and I'm PL too. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, I have to become a businessman, but there is a difference, okay? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that's the target. The target isn't taking, you know, people buying my cigars instead of tatuaje or buying my cigars instead of foundation or buying my cigars instead of Roma Craft. What I'd like to do is I'd like to get a guy to buy my cigars that used to buy one of those legacy long-term brands that's really just kind of been resting on its laurels on okay. brand recognition, they make very consistent cigars. They make, but they don't make exciting cigars. They don't make interesting cigars. Occasionally they do, but the vast majority is just really decent, well blended, good materials, smokable cigars. But they don't really, they don't really. There's a difference, and you can tell that difference. Shots fired.
2: Well, uh, and Steve, no. <laughs> uh, at le- and, and another thing is, you make a cigar with a band that can come off without destroying <laughs> the wrapper of the cigar. Dude, the best I'm article sure. ever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, could well, believe, I could not believe the reaction to that by a few people. I'm like, really? Whoa. You're taking, uh, you're taking this as an insult? Hot topic.
0: You get an
3: F. You get an F.
1: It's, nobody wants an F in school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but it's it's super interesting. And, and you know, I
0: bring this up all the time in the show because both Rob and I work in the craft beer industry. And, and and we it's it's there's a lot of parallels and we see a lot of the same things. And I, I like what you said about uh, you're also driven by P&L, uh, but but it's more of a framework and an outline of of uh, of limitation rather than you're driving directional uh, uh, you know how you make your decisions. You don't make your decisions on it. You're bound by it. It's it's a little bit different. It right. sounds very similar. Look, the but the company and,
3: has to be healthy in order for it to ultimately be capable and be successful. Yes. So you can't be delusional about that. <laughs> I I'm not, regardless of the fact that I'm supposedly a billionaire. I'm not. And it's you not know, what it's, I
1: heard. I was I read the article not, this it, morning. It's in not like
3: I mean, I look at some. I mean, we have some companies that I mean, they lose money every single year. And they're just being floated by investment and eventually that runs out. You can't do that. And a lot of times the reason why that happens is because they don't let things organically grow. They get impatient and they try to market their way there. They try to sales their way there. You know what I mean? And that seldom is the way this turns out to work because when you look at most of these companies, Most of them, I mean, Fuente ground it out for what, sixty plus years? The drones have been grinding it out since the early sixties. You know what I mean? I mean, these companies are not like overnight sensations. These didn't happen overnight. Um, you know, so you, you can't you can you can market yourself to a certain level, but in the end, you only get that one opportunity with the consumer, maybe. lucky maybe you get a couple three if you have enough brands you really can't afford to disappoint Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you really you really kind of gotta you gotta you gotta make that first impression a really solid impression and you know and you don't have to do that when you have a brand with a cuban legacy name on it with you know decades of you know built-in you know customer recognition
1: no, you're, you're
3: 100% correct. Um, and the thing what, too what, is, I mean, retailers, the guy's going to come in, why am I going to take the time to explain to this guy why you should buy Saka's XYZ for whatever, an $8 Saka when I can just go and reach and get an $8 Monty or an $8 Romeo and Juliet or an $8 you know, Partagas or an $8 whatever? You know what I mean? You don't have to do any work. The guy walks out, he spent the same amount of money why am I going to put the effort into slinging this stuff? I don't I don't give a fuck about fat Sokka. you know what I mean? It doesn't matter to me. So and that's that's also part of understanding, you know, how that retail environment works and what floats their boat.
1: Yeah, it is it is uh it's it's an exceptionally tough business. Um, I do want to come back to uh, sincom for me so a bit. Uh, as I said, like the, the first couple of times I smoked it. It was hit or miss for me. Uh, and, I, and again, I just don't think I really understood the cigar. Uh, this is where I got yeah, to yeah. today. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't. I physically you're couldn't say I'm on
3: the damn program. That's the other thing. Nobody's What's ever that? honest with you in person. You know how solemn it is that somebody goes, man, that really sucks, Sokka. I, mean-
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I like to think that you and I have a relationship to the point where I've been pretty honest with
3: you,
2: hey, whatever my
1: opinion here's is. Here's the funny
3: was. part I actually am the most receptive to that. I, I would agree. I, I would totally. Agree. I do Maybe not get my I come panties no. in a bunch about bad reviews or bad comments. Look, I don't like it when I see a consumer who gets a cigar that doesn't draw right. I don't that like it, it when true. I see a cigar where the burn is really just really wonky. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, when it comes to strength, flavor, taste, these are all very personal things. I, mm. I can't. I, I always take it from the perspective of, look, I get a tremendous amount of accolades. I mean, as far as positive reviews. I probably get more positive reviews than anybody else across the board. I really have been. So I have to take the bad with the same faith that I take the good. You know what I mean? You can't just say, oh, well, this is, these people are honest and this guy's dishonest. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, can't, yeah. you, can't, you can't take that. You got to take it and you have to accept the fact that, look, sin's not for everyone. You know, look, I, I saw something today. Guy loves Umbagog, doesn't like me, Rita Blue. That blows me away. The blends are so damn similar that I would make the argument that a lot of people, if you pulled the bands off, I don't know if they could tell the difference in a blind taste test. But you know what? This is the way he feels. Look, he spent his money. He has the right to feel that way. I'm happy that he loves Umbagog. I'm not upset that Miike Rita doesn't suit his fancy because in the end, what you're hoping is you're hoping that the consumer's gonna find the right thing for them.
1: Yeah. No, agreed. And uh, I will say that I, am, uh, I do need to track down some more of these because um, I feel like I, I, the first few times I didn't quite understand what the goal was for the cigar. Uh, smoking it tonight with this Distillers Edition, Randy, we're going to get back to uh, yes. some, some protocol of the show here. Uh, I'm going very enthusiastic thumbs up with my pairing. It, uh, it kept me warm on this cold evening. It was so good that my power went out. Uh, I really, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, this pairing tonight. I'm guessing, Randy, you're on the opposite end because uh, I know you're afraid of flavor. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> whoa. Oh, boy. Uh, yes, so,
0: so I, 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 I will say because it is the protocol of the show, I will have to give the official pairing with Peated. Uh, uh, last I set you up tea. to fail. You did. I, I, did. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you, you own that. I'm gonna have to give a thumbs down to the like 16 pairing, Um, but I am so glad that you steered me away from the Balvini because I wasn't loving that. The Avalor was an exceptional pairing for this company, so I enjoyed that quite a bit. A lot more sweetness in the Scotch um, that really allowed uh, for for no um, conflict with the flavor of the cigar. It didn't overrun the flavor of the cigar. And, and Steve, you know, you, you said you're not much of a pairing guy. I'll tell you the thing that Rob and I focus on the most with, with this is and if I were to say one statement that we have kind of established almost without uh, without intention that that we even though different aspects of the pairing has impressed us or not impressed us over the year and a half we've been doing the show, um, I, I would say if the pairing is greater than. That of the sum of its parts, um, where, you know, where where it's you enjoy the experience more than drinking by your by itself or smoking by itself, and I think that Abalure actually did that. So you want,
1: uh, you want it to
3: be complimentary.
1: Exactly, to, to elevate to elevate your your experience. But I think Randy, this echoes the, the point that I was making. I didn't quite understand the cigar. I don't think I did because I, I, we went into this, and when you and I were talking about the pairing was, I said, well, that's a that's a bigger beefier cigar. And that was the way that I remembered it, which was not correct. Right. I, didn't, I didn't understand the goal of the cigar specifically, which is why I probably didn't really enjoy it that much the first few times I smoked it. Had I smoked it again and- And, 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 and Rob, let's be honest, it just may not be for you. No, but it's, no, you, you're I right. Mean, you, well, that's, that's, that's fair. But I think it was just, I went in with an expectation based on uh, your previous cigars and I, it didn't meet those criteria. It's a different set of criteria, and frankly, the way that this cigar is blended and the way that my palate, the, the, the cigars that I enjoy, this should be my favorite cigar that you make.
0: Yeah, right.
1: How do you feel about Brulee? I like Brulee. My favorite ah. cigar, my favorite cigar that you make is the Tricky Truck,
3: which That's is my probably favorite. my strongest cigar.
1: I mean, which is weird because I don't gravitate towards that stuff. You, the way the thing, that you though. make cigars, just but, but, but confuses part of my it palate. Is,
3: even my strong cigars. I always focus on them still being smooth. Mm. Smooth? And I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like cigars that are biting. I don't like cigars that are sharp. I don't like cigars that give me a scratchiness. Now, look, if you're the guy that has the opportunity, you like strong cigars and you only get to smoke one a day, then yeah, maybe that's what you want. But I'm a guy that's smoking eight, ten cigars every single day. So I'm basically going back to back to back. So I don't typically like a cigar to wipe me out. Every once in a while, I'll go to my humidor and I'll pick up a double Lajero chisel. Every once in a while, I'll go in my humidor and pick up some of those really robust tats, or I'll pick up a Neanderthal or something like that. But I can't smoke eight Neanderthals back to back. It's just not me. Now, I know there's consumers that can, but it isn't me. So one of the things that's kind of a general trait for the most part is I tend to not make anything that I consider to be that real pepper bomb. Now, Um, that being said, I'm driving towards this year's Muestra release being that because I don't actually have anything that I consider pepper bombish anywhere in the portfolio. You know, maybe Unstolen Valor, but even Unstolen Valor, I can't take credit for that blend. Okay, that blend was done by Raul. I mean, that's a more pepper forward style of a blend. Popettas are more pepper forward. The Firecracker is more pepper forward, but. As a general rule, I, I don't have a lot of super pepper pepper style cigars. You know, so and that and then again it comes down to what I happen to like. And I also feel like look, Pepin Garcia makes a lot of great peppery cigars. Pete has a lot of great peppery cigars. There's there's a lot of great makers that do a great job at making those style of cigars. So, you know, and, and it's you know, and they're and they're staying true to who they are. I mean, if if I, if I, I'm not buying a Pete Garcia cigar to get a, a mild cigar. Right. Yeah, know? exactly. Um,
1: Well, this, Steve, this has been great. This yeah. has been a blast. Uh, I've had, uh, I feel like when I started, this bottle was up to about here. Jeez. Jeez,
3: that's, that scotch is amazing.
1: And now it's down to about here. <laughs> this is, uh, this is really good. I got this from a friend. Um, I'm gonna have to uh, seek out another bottle. I was looking online while, uh, uh, while I was trying to, I was trying to find if where this was finished in, because I, I, it doesn't say on the bottle, so I was curious what, what cask it was finished in. And like I said, you are correct, Pedro Jimenez. Um, but anything finished in a sherry cask is always gonna be, that's, that's where I gravitate towards. Um, but uh, yeah, th- these run, if you can find
3: it, 100. Try the lore. Like, the problem with the lore is if you read, if you read Scotch reviews, yeah. it's panned almost universally. But the reason why is because it's the Laphroaig devotees, and Laphroaig is the most peaty scotch. Skip that one for you, my friend. <laughs> You're going to hate that one. But Laphroaigs are the most peaty. Well, there's a couple that have higher peat content, but it's super astringent, super yeah. peaty. Over the top. super. Right. So the Laphroaig lore got really a lot of negative reviews because the Laphroaig fans... They're like, it's like, this is like Scotch light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it wasn't Lefroy enough to be a Lefroy, You know what I mean? But, um, but I, I think the lore is also a, a really nice expression from them. I, I really enjoyed it. Look, I like the 10 and I like a lot of their others also, but I, I think, I think it's, I think it's one that gets, it doesn't get the proper ratings. Mm,
1: gets you know? overlooked a little bit.
3: It's overlooked. And look, sometimes, and look, we have that in cigars. Look, I have that problem with this. I mean, I'm surprised by the success of Brulee. Brulee being so oh, successful it's such a is- good cigar. I, I remember talking
1: to you at uh, I don't know if it was at IPCPR when it was released or, or before, uh, but we talked about it, and you were nervous about it, and I think you were genuinely nervous about it yeah,
2: because, because it, was, it was, was
1: so different from what you've done, mm-hmm. and you're uh, you're you're going. It, it, like we've talked about, you're going a little bit after a customer that's a little bit different than than uh, the guy about who, who really smokes your stuff. Customer
3: that buys Romeo's, buys Monty, yeah. buys yeah. Yeah. Classic, buys. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of scars. You're going you're going after a really hard consumer. It's a but tough I, didn't, I I really more so went into it because again, it was something I didn't have in the, in the brand. And I was tired of being at events and people saying, Hey, what do you have? that's mild. And I'd be like, uh, let me take I you to the door it. and show you six or seven other company cigars. Cause <laughs> I don't really have anything that's going to suit your fancy at all. So, you know, part of it was also, you know, filling a, a weakness, a gap yeah, yeah. that I didn't have. Yeah. You know, well, uh, I'm,
1: I'm glad that it's been successful. Um, Steve, okay. thank you for being so generous with your time tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, we really appreciate it, and uh, your candor is always appreciated, as, uh, as we've said before. Um, I, I, again, this, this pairing for me was great. It made me rethink this cigar specifically, uh, so I'm going to have to track some more of these down and, uh, and just kind of smoke it on its own. Uh, and I'll make sure that I'm in a wind control. And Let me control. ask you, do you, <laughs> have any of the
3: original, do you have any of those original Intrepidos left? No, this is the only one that I had. Okay, because... The- let me send you some of the ones with the, the slight tweak on them, and I was going to say do a head-to-head. I don't have any of the originals either. I Oh, I, I still have originals for both me and Rob. Come on. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, I, I do. I, I See, I don't think of
1: Randy's humidor as being my humidor, too. You have access
0: to them, Rob. So I'm whoever
3: wrong. wins the box of sin, you're going to send me the address to ship to, correct? Yes, we will. Also, do me a favor. Ask them what size they'd like to smoke Ooh. because oh. they can <laughs> choose. I don't care. Any of the five SKUs. And uh, and one little other note, um, there is actually a stronger blend of Syncom um, that will be released next year. Oh. They're no breaking very, news? Breaking yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Have I made that announcement? I don't think I have. If, but yeah. If you haven't sent a press release, Coop is going to be very upset. I haven't <laughs> sent a press release. I mean, look, it's still... it's George, still, take notes. <laughs> I thought the blend was done, but I haven't been back to Nicaragua since the end of February.
1: I was I was actually going to ask you
3: that one because uh, we
1: talked earlier this year you hadn't been back and I a no,
3: disaster. I'm going in January, early January, even if I have to charter the personal the private jet. I have no choice. This is as a billionaire. That's just as nuts. a billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> it's on
1: standby. Forty k. What the hell? You got, you, got it on, you got it. on standby. It's it's not a problem. You know, Steve, but, always oh, a pleasure, man. We really really appreciate it. Um, boys, what's coming up for Smoke Night Live on Friday?
2: Uh, so Friday, we will have Abe Debabna from Smoke In on because uh, we'll be selling these in the daytime. And so Abe will be and me will be just, uh, you know, having a good time on Friday night as we typically do for Friday Night Herf. And uh, that's the story for Friday.
3: Awesome. Abe's
1: a great guest. He is a great guest. Yeah, it's Abe's a lot of fun. A lot of and, fun. Andy, what do we have next week?
0: And for Flavor Odyssey, you can tune in next week on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for the next the next show in the chapter of <laughs> San Andreas, uh, where we will be featuring the, none other than the Undercrown Dojo Dogma Maduro. Uh, we will be announcing on Monday, possibly me, probably Rob. will let you know what we'll be pairing with and uh, and please continue to tune in and again, thank you so much Steve Saka for doubling down on our giveaway as we will be doing giveaways for each of the last five shows of the year and so uh, tune in, get a chance to, to win some great stuff. We, um, we're really excited to uh, spread the love this holiday season and, and send these out. So We hope you uh, thought to share this show. We'll be sending... Uh, out notifications to the winners of tonight's show again for the five pack of personally curated out of my humidor, uh five pack <laughs> that, that has the, the sober mesa, the todos los dias, the Dunbarton tobacco and trust 80th anniversary special edition. The first iteration of that for famous uh, the 2019 red meat lovers club and the uh, the me kitty, the red label tricky Chaka, Oh, that's a good one. Uh, And and then, again, one lucky winner will win a full box of 13 uh, sin compromisos. Apparently, you get to choose the Vitola.
1: So uh, very exciting. Any size you want. We don't mess around. We don't mess around here. Steve, thanks again. Really appreciate Uh, you taking the time. Pleasure's mine,
3: guys. Thank Uh, you very much.
1: Always appreciate it. it. Uh, Thanks to everybody who tuned in. We will be back next week. Same time, same bat time, same bat channel, Randy, as they say. uh, Everybody have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to each other. It doesn't cost you anything. And we'll see you next week as the Odyssey continues.